Here we go. Patrick Mead. And the crowd went mild. Yes, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's lovely to, to see you. All of the singing, I really love all of the singing, and I love the energy and the like to it. And maybe that'll be a good lead-in. Um, this is hard for some people that, that don't know guitars to understand. Somebody said, you're wearing the same shirt. No, it's, this one's a black one. Uh, um, the good news, my, my wardrobe, the only thing that can be said about it is that it has much more variety than Randy Harris's, but that's about it, to those of you that know Randy. Uh, but, and Randy and I are friends, and I tell him, well, you know, I, I, I mixed mine up a bit, and I got a girl. That's all I'm saying. Um, uh, anyway, I, I have some guitars that are very, very precious. I have one that was handmade by an, um, an absolute genius uh, 33 years ago. And 33 years ago, I took it with me on a trip to America. And I was up in the Rocky Mountains playing it. It's a 12-string guitar. I was up there playing it uh, by a fireside when the family of the, the people that would be my wife moved across, uh, came into the campground, and that's where we met. So I was playing that guitar. And so that guitar is very precious to us. But it's also precious because of the way it is designed and made. A really good, you, there's a point to this. A really good guitar like that one, I can sit on a stand, and I can be five or six feet away and I don't play a lot of electric. I play mainly acoustic guitar. And I, on another guitar, can hit a chord. I can set that guitar down, go over to this one, put my ear close, and hear that same chord singing back. I haven't touched the guitar, but it picked up the vibration and already began to sing. It already began to be a part of this. What I want to be in my life, I want to take the song of God and vibrate with the same song. In whatever situation I find, I want to sing his song. Now, how do we do this? Our history has been a mixed one. All histories are. If right now you think America is the most uh, perfect, wonderful country in the world, you need to read a bit of history. But if you think it's also a horrible country where the founders were pro-slavery and the, the, uh, you know, all the politicians are evil and the like, you also need to read some history. No, it's not all bad, and it's not all good. There are people involved, and churches could be perfect if we kept people out, but we can't. So we, Jesus said, whosoever will, so we have to let them in. The church started off really well, but there was a built-in problem. You may not know, have noticed it yesterday, but remember I said there were two streams. There was the divided religious stream, and there was the huge rational um, atheist type, or agnostic at least, stream. By the way, Thomas Jefferson would have fallen in this as well. Uh, he actually literally took scissors to his Bible and cut out the miracles. Uh, he, he believed that Jesus was a good guy, but didn't believe all the miracle stuff. Well, here in the middle are the Thomas and Alexander Campbell. Alexander's Thomas's son, the guy that wrote the Declaration and Address. And as they are saying, we can use reason and scripture to unite us, they had an assumption that they, they didn't factor in. Both sides thought we were near the end of the world. Now you'll notice this, every time you look in history, everybody thinks they're the end of the world. And so whenever people say, you know, like many of you I noticed weren't raptured recently. Um, <laughs> that whole day I was 
I was messaging people all over the place saying, I'm up here, where are you? You know, it's... <laughs> dude, it's great. Jesus has a beard. You know, that sort of stuff. And, and people were freaking out, but we had a good time. Um, everybody thinks we're the end of the world, but they really thought there was a way to bring about the end of the world. Do religion perfectly, and Jesus would return. They believed it so much that Alexander Campbell's paper was called the Millennial Harbinger. In other words, if we do this right, Jesus will bring in his millennial reign. Therefore, they looked for perfection and they didn't look at the long run, the long term. Like Josh and I were talking about last night, you've got to prepare for what's next. They didn't because they thought they were it. It's over with us. That's why the first fights began. Here comes uh, Alexander Campbell, Barton W. Stone, uh, Johnson, um, Walter Scott. And they said, you know something? Our singing is horrid. So what we need to do is have a songbook. And they put together a songbook. I've got, a, I've got one, one of the, uh, the first songbook printed. I've got one of those. It's a little thing like this. No notes, just numbers above songs. If you're Scottish, you know what that means. It means that's the number of the tune and the meter. And the old songbooks, that's the way you did things. And there are people that left them because they said, there's no authorization in the Bible for a songbook. This is in the 1800s. They were trying to get things perfectly so Jesus would like them. Other people said, our singing is so horrid, we need help. And they brought in a melodeon, which is kind of like an organette, uh, a keyboard of the old days. <laughs> we had to, you had to pump the air into it because there's no electricity. Uh, you couldn't run a cord all the way into uh, like 1920. So you had to, and, and they tried to play that to make the singing better. Well, when I asked, Campbell and the like couldn't say that the instrument was a sin, but what they did say was, we don't need it, it seems unseemly, and it's just an extra thing, get it out. They weren't thinking of the long term. What if Jesus doesn't come back for a couple hundred years? How are we going to transfer this movement? And this began to roll to the point where Different colleges were set up, including this one. They were in competition with each other as to which one really reflected the declaration and address. To the point where they devised papers and they printed papers and they would launch these papers against each other. Texas would be in fighting Tennessee. Tennessee would be fighting Arkansas with these things. All of them trying to be perfect so God would like them. They had taken Thomas Campbell's Declaration of Freedom and tried to make it a blueprint for perfection. It'll kill you trying to be perfect. It, it, it is, I don't even want to ask people to raise their hands, but if anybody in here has perfectionist tendencies, you already know how tough your life is. It is very tough. But what if you're trying to run a religion? And so we've got people in Tennessee, like um, David Lepscomb, that are saying, don't vote, don't go into military service, have nothing to do with the government. You've got people here, this guy <laughs> loved the government, uh, and he, he thought the government should be as uh, fiercely conservative as he was and hunt out communists, uh, and even you know, kill a few that weren't just to make sure. Uh, it, he was on that side. The people in Texas were saying nobody knows how to do it right but Texas, because they were from Texas. <laughs> That's right. 
the curse continues. Um, and it wasn't until night, but the, here's the point. The people in the pew were still united. And in 1906, David Lipscomb informed the United States government that the churches that used the instrument were not really a part of us. He had no right to say that. No human being has the right to draw a line saying the other people are over there. But he did. Even then, and deep into the 1920s and 30s, the people in the pew continued to worship with people with very different ideas about the Trinity, about the Holy Spirit, about music, about whether you needed to be baptized again if you'd been sprinkled as a baby or not. They were all together. So what caused the breakup and the hardening? In 1928, two young men, and I'm not going to name names. You can go look at this later if you want. It's not a history lesson. I know it sounds that way. We're going to get into theology in a minute and look more at the Declaration and Address. Two young men bought the Gospel Advocate, which is the biggest paper of the time, in the East. The West was Firm Foundation. They, it was a dirty deal, by the way, but they pulled it off. And they launched the first salvos of what would become a very divisive church and run us into the weeds. They did it over divorce and remarriage. At that time, it was taught by every branch of our American restoration movement, which didn't consider itself different branches, by the way, at that time. Uh, they would all wear the same name. Uh, and you never knew what you were getting when you walked in. They, uh, that's, that can still happen in some places. But anyway, it was taught by all of them that if you were divorced and remarried, that you could repent of that, stay with your married partner, and just don't do it again. These two men said, no, if you've divorced, it's not really in God's eyes. And if you remarried, you've got to leave that one and go back to the first one. And they, they had a sacramental view of marriage that was very fierce, very harsh. And they now had control of the paper. And they started denouncing anybody who disagreed with them as somebody who didn't love Jesus or the Bible. That became our Achilles heel. Everybody was terrified, you might think, they were unfaithful. They drove off a ton of preachers. They killed a lot of churches, but they really formed what would become the modern Church of Christ. Their, their school still exists, uh, not far from here in Memphis. won't name it, but Memphis is in its name. Um, they still have lectureships every year. They still launch against people like me or anybody who doesn't toe the line. They used to control 90% of the churches. Today it's more like 15%. But without meaning to be as rough as it sounds, don't consider them not dangerous because a wounded animal is more dangerous than one that isn't. And they do launch and they do attack and it is harsh. But they had control of it until about 20 years ago when other voices began to be heard saying, I'm not playing. I came back from Scotland and my dad, who's very much a disciple of these men, uh, although he would deny that, uh, he's actually been mad at them for not being conservative enough. 
of only a few people in this room will understand what I'm about to say. I've seen my father stand in front of Ira Rice Jr. and put his finger in Ira's face and tell him he was too liberal on a couple of points. Yeah, I <laughs> know. Yeah, How? <laughs> and anyway, uh, I, I came back and my dad said, I've just been to a lectureship on the book of John. Do you want to watch the tapes? It was VHS tapes back at those days. And I said, no, because I didn't. You know, car carpenters don't go home and watch videos of people building chairs. You know, I just do what I do. But he wanted me to, to watch. So, and, and John's my favorite book, so all right, you know, I've been away for a long time. I'll, I'll, I'll do this. John chapter 1, what a meaty, incredible chapter it is. He never, never got covered. The guy talked about marriage and divorce and instrumental music and fellowship with the denominations and such, but never got to John chapter 1. Second guy was supposed to do John chapter 2, he never got to Ed either, marriage and divorce. By the third time, I actually turned it off and I looked at my dad and I said, don't you see what's going on? These men are terrified. Somebody's going to think they're not faithful. Therefore, they've got to stand up and hit all of the little markers saying, no, I'm right with you. I refuse to live in fear. Fear is not an option. Take your shot. You do whatever you want to try to do. Remember this. If you want to serve Jesus Christ, fear is not an option. You die on your feet. You never, never run. And you never bow your knee to anybody but Jesus Christ. I came down from Edinburgh Castle, which is an active military base at the time. It, it, was demobbed uh, just a few years ago. And if anywhere you are in the capital city of Scotland, you see this huge, mighty castle. It's amazing. It's built into the volcanic rock. You walk a mile down to Holyrood Palace, which is where the queen stays when she's in town. But when she's not in town, when her flag's not up, anybody can pay a price, get a ticket, and walk in and do a tour. Now, I'm not a big tour guy of the Holyrood Palace. I've seen it like 20, 30 times. But because we had some visitors from the States, they wanted to see it. So I came out of the castle. We walked down the Royal Mile together, walked down to the Holyrood, and um, I looked up, and her flag wasn't up. I was going, darn it. <laughs> now i got to go in. So uh, we went in. We were doing the tour. We walked into this one room, which is a little bit bigger than this. And I stopped. They went on with the tour. I looked about. Things were changed. You don't change things in a palace. It's a point to the palace. This is the way it always is. So I walked over to the steward there in his uh, green blazer and uh, military badge, and I said, um, what's going on here then? And he says, oh, you haven't heard. And I said, what's going on? She said, he said, she's going to do it. She's going to knight our Sean. I was going, give off. She's no. Now, what's going on? Let me explain. <laughs> the queen was going to knight Sean Connery, who in Scotland is our Sean. Now, the, the reason I was shocked was because she was supposed to have done it like 15 years ago. But she kept refusing because Sean Connery gives a lot of his money to the Scottish National Party, which is a party of independence from her. <laughs> that She's miffed. <laughs> she is not amused. And so I was quite shocked. We talked about it for a while, and I said, so where's she going to knight him then? And he says, right where you're standing. And I said, all right, fair enough. 
Well, you tell our Sean when he gets here that I beat him here. And he, he said, I'll do that, sir. And I took a step or two away, then I stopped. And I walked back and I said, but you make sure you tell our Sean I didn't kneel. And he leaned over and he said, I haven't either, sir. And that was our wee secret. My father taught me, you don't bow your knee to any man. You bow it to Jesus. I will not be afraid of those that want to call me unfaithful because I actually read scripture. And I'm not afraid to live it. Now, they're going to heaven too, by the way. I'm not judging them as in, I, I believe their doctrine's wrong. I believe their conduct is wrong. But I believe that their Savior is right. They're going to go to heaven. They're just not going to like it the first couple of weeks. <laughs> I'm not sure my father's going to think it's really heaven when he gets there. He's going to go, whoa, whoa, what's about these harps then? You know, uh, and, and I was thinking that was just a metaphor. Anyway, the Bible, the Bible actually tells us how to get along. And this, the proposition and address does as well. It, it talks about just only bind what is in Scripture. Let me tell you a couple of stories, and then we're going to look at Scripture. I went to a church in Appalachia. It was an old-time conservative church. And while I drove around with the preacher, and he kept telling me about this, this member and that member and the like, and he would say, now, we've, we've really had to fight against, you know, the, the moderns and the, the liberals, and we've had to keep our church pure, and it's been a really struggle. And, and I'm going, he doesn't know me. So I'm going, all right. Tell me what your story. And he was bragging about how this couple came in and they wanted to be members, but they started talking to him and found out she was divorced back when she was 19 and they'd gotten married 20 years ago, but that wasn't good enough and told him, we couldn't just, you can't be a member here. He was proud of it. He's proud of driving off this person, proud of driving off another who, who wanted to ask about the role of women. He was proud because he had kept the church pure. On that same ride, we visited a man who was a mess. I watched him be mean to his wife, sharp to his kids, completely self-centered. He got prescription pain pills from a variety of friends and variety of doctors. He was addicted up the wazoo, whatever the wazoo is, when we find it, when modern science locates it, it's all the way up to the top of that. <laughs> Two days later, on a Sunday, he stood up, that same man, and led at the communion table. I went to the minister and I said, now why would a man who's mean to his wife, an admitted addict who's not trying to break it, but instead is actively breaking federal law by shopping drugs and buying neighbors' prescriptions, why would he be allowed to lead at the table? And the man said, because he's a faithful member of the church. And what he meant by that was his views on instrumental music, marriage and divorce and all this other are mine went to another church. In fact, I went as their minister. Found a man, we'll call him Don. Don had been on disability from the government for 20 years. Complete disability, 100%. Taxpayer money, feeding him, because he hurt his back. Back pain, by the way, is incredibly awful pain. And I absolutely understand it when somebody is disabled. But Don wasn't. Don made extra money working with his son re-roofing houses. That's robbery. It's a felony. I went to the elders. I said, that's got to stop. And they didn't want to bother him. And he's, you know, he's a good guy and he's a faithful member. 
the declaration and address got it right. It said, you are a faithful member if your character reflects that of Christ. It's not a matter of you believing the right doctrines. It's a matter of you being the right person. You follow Jesus Christ. We've made a big deal in our church about all of this. In our church, we tell people, you're free to think. You're free to have different ideas. It was fun this morning. Tyler Ellis came over and sat at my table. Once he began to realize he could ask me questions, he says, well, what do you think about hell? And what do you think about heaven and new earth? And what do you think about Trinity? And as I'm talking, openness, theology, and I would just answer him. And he would just kind of blink and he'd say, I've never had anybody just answer me like that. And I said, well, it's all right, because I may not be right, but you ask me a question, that's where I am right now. And he said, well, how do you teach your congregation? I said, number one, don't preach my doubts. Number two, I tell them they're allowed to think too. They're allowed to be different than me too because everyone works out their own salvation. It is not given to you by the minister. It is not bestowed upon you because you followed a church's rules. You work it out between you and God. And yours is going to look different than mine because we're different people but we follow the same Jesus. I mean, anybody in here have more than one kid? Anybody? All right, over on this side. Are your kids completely the same in every regard? No. There you are. But they're still your kids, aren't they? Absolutely. My daughter, she could be a model. In fact, several people have tried to get her to be a model. Uh, even NBC tried to recruit her to, to do commercials for them once. And she is beautiful. And what she wants to do is be a mommy. And she is a mommy, and she is a world-class mommy. She's sweet. She's fun. She loves country music for some reason. <laughs> so I have failed, uh, but I'm, I can deal with that. Uh, my, uh, my son is six foot five, about 190-some pounds. The last I heard was 2.5% body fat. He is one of the top shooters in the Marine Corps. He has every medal they can give you for that. He's a different guy than my daughter. But they are both my children. Does everybody understand? Is that shocking to anybody in the room? All right, then why is it we are shocked when the children of Jesus might not look exactly like each other? He has children too. He loves them too. Well, let's talk about how do we do this. Um, one thing we could say, God gives you a leash law for the mind. In Philippians chapter 4, whatsoever things, uh, verse 8, whatsoever things are good and true and pure and lovely, that's what you think about. That's your leash law. We, we used to raise dogs uh, to, to uh, work with the sheep, the border collies. Came to America, and we've just not had that kind of room, so we don't do it anymore. But our neighbors have a great dog. It's a boxer. Just the sweetest thing in the world. It's huge. You know, it has its own zip code and all, but it's, it's, uh, it's the sweetest thing in the world. And they put it on an invisible fence, and the invisible fence works just lovely, uh, by the way. But they, have, they understand our dog is powerful and needs to be controlled. Yeah, you need to be controlled as well. When you're angry at somebody, what do you do back? Young lady sent me a Facebook message this morning saying... You might want to look at my pictures on mobile upload. By the way, normally when that hits, it's a spam thing. Don't go. But I knew this young lady. 
And so I went, all right, went over. And she had, I wouldn't have done it, but she put up an email she had received anonymously. And there were curse words, and she was being just attacked. And then she showed her response, and I just, I prayed and said, thank you, Jesus. Because last month I talked to her and hundreds of other kids on how do you respond when you're attacked. I get email every, every week, hate mail. What do you do? I write back saying, we may never agree, but I want to promise you something, a pledge and a promise. My pledge is that I will love you every day for the rest of your life, no matter what. And my promise is I will pray that God blesses you for the rest of your life. And you may always call on me. My other promise is you may always call on me if you need help, and I will come help you. That's all. That's all I respond back, even if they're setting up a t-ball for me. You know, about, you know, I don't believe you're right here, and I've got 5,000 verses. I don't use a one. I promise I will love you, pray for you, and come to your aid. And that's what she had sent back. God bless her. Here's a teenage girl being attacked anonymously on Facebook. But instead of hanging herself, this is what she does. That's Christianity. She has understood Philippians chapter 4. What is true, what is pure, what is lovely, you be limited by that. I find it interesting, and by the way, this may not actually mean anything, but to me it means a lot, just because of the way it works. In the Gospels, those that follow Jesus are called disciples 230 times. In Acts, they're called disciples 30 times, but saints four times. In the rest of the New Testament, they're never called disciples but they're called saints 55 times. You see, the longer you walk with Jesus, that's what disciple means, you're following. The longer you walk with Jesus, the more you're supposed to be transferred, transformed from being a follower to a saint. You're supposed to become somebody different. How do we get there? Let the Holy Spirit come into every situation. Have you ever... People say, oh, when's Jesus going to come back? I think it's the wrong question. First of all, I don't care when the end of the world is. I really don't. Odds are I'm going to die before it, and so I'll get a great view. So I'm not really concerned. If, I, if I'm here when it happens, fair enough. I'm, I'm a little concerned about the end of me, but not the end of the world. I ask Jesus to come back all the time into every situation. When I'm in the airport and they delay my flight, Jesus, come into this situation. If I'm going to be stuck here another three hours, let me find somebody to bless. Let me find some way to serve you. Who needs help? Come, Lord Jesus. When I'm in a discussion with a, another person, they want it to be an argument. I refuse to argue back um, because I, I don't need to be right. I just need to be Christian. Do you remember that? Jesus did not try to correct the lady at the well when she was doctrinally wrong. He wasn't interested in winning the argument. He was interested in winning her. He didn't correct the apostles whenever they said, is it now that we ride into Jerusalem? He just said, you know, it's not up to you to know the days and times. That's just a sweet way of saying, you know, I'm not going there. He didn't even try to describe it to them. Just, that's all right. He was interested in them, not the argument. Let Jesus come. That's how we do it. But we're actually given 
a step-by-step -step process in the Bible. Isn't it interesting? We are not given a description of a New Testament worship service, but we are given Romans 14. Let's go have a wee look. All right, a look. Sorry, not a look. I love it when somebody comes up to me and goes, I love your accent. What? I don't have one. We were talking like this before you lot showed up. So you're the divergence from the norm, not me. You've got the accent. I, lo I love it when people in Iowa and like say, oh, I don't have an accent. Yeah, you do. Um, Romans 14. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Stop right there. When God says to be baptized, does it mean we have to be baptized? Yes, it does. Nod your wee heads. That's right. So when God says, accept somebody whose faith is weak and don't get involved in disputable matters, what does that mean? <laughs> is that a suggestion? It's a command. I brought this up to a lady once who was very angry at me. And she goes, but this isn't disputable. And I looked at her and I said, but we're disputing it, which would make it dispute-able. <laughs> it's amazing to me how few people really like an impromptu doctrinal grammatical lesson. But anyway, it is called English. We did speak it first. Um, anyway, well, actually, you, you, you lot did. Where's our English people? I saw it. There they are. They spoke it first. And he brought up a while ago, I said, if you hadn't shot us yesterday, you'd be talking like this. And he, he brought up correctly, no, they'd be having English accents. I said, yes, but their servants would be having ours. And, uh, <laughs> and, and the soldiers and a lot. We always, I don't know why we always thought it was a good idea. All right, let's put on kilts, play bagpipes, stand shoulder to shoulder, and get out in front of the English. What? what? Uh, so, we never really caught the concept. Anyway, don't, you know, uh, my feeling on hell is not the standard feeling on hell. When Rob Bell wrote his book, I'm not really sure after I read it what his feeling on hell is. Um, and, I, and I'm not knocking it. That's just Rob. Rob writes in poetry. He doesn't write in grand ideas. And so, all right, fair enough. But John Piper, a Calvinist minister, wrote, farewell, Rob Bell. In other words, you're not my brother anymore. Really? Really? Excuse me? When was the last time a kid got to tell another kid, you don't belong in the family anymore? Isn't that the father's job and the mama's job? You know, I had three older sisters. If I found out you could vote them out via Twitter, <laughs> that would have, I would have said, come Lord Twitter. I would have been excited about when that hit. Look at this. One faith allows him to eat everything. By the way, you were the, we look at this and go, they're, they're fighting over what you're allowed to eat. Remember, everything you fight about will be looked upon as silly later. But this divided churches. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Does that mean if you're vegetarian that you're weaker? No. He's saying that if you claim that's all you're allowed to eat, you don't really understand Jesus. Because Jesus isn't up there disapproving of what you eat. He isn't. My, my daughter uh, w went to Lepscombe and became, uh, got her degree and was going to be a, a um, um, what do they call that? A dietitian. Um, she got it in nutrition. And, and so I, I told her, I said, when you do that, sweetie, that'd be great. But just don't be a food Nazi. Understand everybody dies of something. 
So my own personal theory is, study all diseases. Pick the one you want to die from and eat accordingly. <laughs> you know, I have no problem eating a donut every now and then because if I eat a donut and it kills me and I see Jesus, what's the downside? Amen. Eating donuts into heaven. <laughs> you know, it's, it doesn't bother me. And I know I would live longer if I never ate another donut, but I don't want to live in a world without donuts. <laughs> there has to be a balance, right? People say, don't you want to be in shape? Round is a shape. <laughs> don't, in other words, God, don't let anybody judge you over what you eat because God's not concerned. We're fighting and dividing religiously and Jesus isn't concerned. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does for God has accepted him. That's huge. Not only are you allowed to have your own opinion, you're not allowed to look down upon those that have a different opinion. And to call them, yes, I know, rats. <laughs> I, uh, I get every month a paper circulated by a preacher in Arizona that names false preachers and teachers. I happen to know that man. I happen to know he was disfellowshipped from his church where he was head of a school of preaching because he gave his wife a venereal disease because he'd been running around with prostitutes. This is public knowledge. I called his elders. I asked him, has he ever repented of that? No. He deserted his family and went off and then a few years later showed up once again as the guardian of the faith. Excuse me. That's not the way this plays. You can have a different opinion, but as soon as you start attacking others, people have a right to look in your life. You can look in my life, it's a mess. I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm, I w if I was Jesus, I wouldn't save me. I would have mentioned it on the cross. This is for everybody, but not that Patrick, lad. He's a mess. But Jesus died for me too, and he is my savior. And you and I can have a different attitude. I've got friends, deep, good friends of mine who disagree with me strongly on things. I'm cool with that. But we agree on Jesus. That's what we need to agree on. He goes on, God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? Shouldn't we put that up on our banners in our churches? We should put up on, instead of all of the triumphal stuff, we ought to put up there, who are you to judge another man's servant? We have some people in our congregation that don't sing. They just make a joyful noise. <clears throat> they think they're singing. It's not singing. It sounds painful. God likes it. So we're supposed to accept it. Let it go. How about to his own master? He says, who are you to judge another one? To his own master, he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. That is good news, people. I'm going to heaven. <laughs> Not because I'm righteous, but because he is. And he said I was going. He's not a liar. But that means that the people I don't like may be going too. And the people that don't like me may be going too. Are you okay with that? You know, if I get to heaven and I look up and see Hitler, I'm not going to go, well, this stinks. <laughs> I don't think he made it, by the way. But if he did... 
Isn't that a sign of God's grace, the same grace that saves me? All right? So I'm not going to, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer killed boys, tortured them, sexually abused them, killed them, then sexually abused the corpses, then cut them up and ate them. He was a little troubled. <laughs> we, think Jer we think he might have been going off the realm, rails a bit. He was arrested, he was sentenced and put in prison. Didn't have the death penalty when, when and where he was, so it was for life. He became a, a Christian in prison. He was baptized by a preacher in the Church of Christ. A few weeks later, the inmates caught him in a shower and beat him to death. Next Sunday, I stood up in my Bible class and looked around and said, So, is Jeffrey Dahmer in heaven? Just don't be a food Nazi. Understand, everybody dies of something. So my own personal theory is, study all diseases. Pick the one you want to die from and eat accordingly. <laughs> you know, I have no problem eating a donut every now and then because if I eat a donut and it kills me and I see Jesus, what's the downside? Amen. Eating donuts into heaven. <laughs> you know, it's, it doesn't bother me. And I know I would live longer if I never ate another donut, but I don't want to live in a world without donuts. <laughs> There has to be a balance, right? People say, don't you want to be in shape? Round is a shape. <laughs> don't, in other words, God, don't let anybody judge you over what you eat because God's not concerned. We're fighting and dividing religiously and Jesus isn't concerned. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. That's huge. Not only are you allowed to have your own opinion, you're not allowed to look down upon those that have a different opinion. And to call them, yes, I know, rats. I, uh, I get every month a paper circulated by a preacher in Arizona that names false preachers and teachers. I happen to know that man. I happen to know he was disfellowshipped from his church where he was head of a school of preaching because he gave his wife a venereal disease because he'd been running around with prostitutes. This is public knowledge. I called his elders. I asked him, has he ever repented of that? No. He deserted his family and went off and then a few years later showed up once again as the guardian of the faith. Excuse me. That's not the way this plays. You can have a different opinion, but as soon as you start attacking others, people have a right to look in your life. You can look in my life, it's a mess. I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm, I w if I was Jesus, I wouldn't save me. I would have mentioned it on the cross. This is for everybody, but not that Patrick lad. He's a mess. But Jesus died for me too, and he is my savior. And you and I can have a different attitude. I've got friends, deep, good friends of mine who disagree with me strongly on things. I'm cool with that. But we agree on Jesus. That's what we need to agree on. He goes on, God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? Shouldn't we put that up on our banners in our churches? We should put up on, instead of all of the triumphal stuff, we ought to put up there, who are you to judge another man's servant? 
We have some people in our congregation that don't sing. They just make a joyful noise. <clears throat> they think they're singing. It's not singing. It sounds painful. God likes it. So we're supposed to accept it. Let it go. How about to his own master? He says, who are you to judge another one? To his own master, he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. That is good news, people. I'm going to heaven. Not because I'm righteous, but because he is, and he said I was going. He's not a liar. But that means that the people I don't like may be going too. And the people that don't like me may be going too. Are you okay with that? You know, if I get to heaven and I look up and see Hitler, I'm not going to go, well, this stinks. <laughs> I don't think he made it, by the way. But if he did, isn't that a sign of God's grace, the same grace that saves me? All right? So I'm not going to, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer killed boys, tortured them, sexually abused them, killed them, then sexually abused the corpses, then cut them up and ate them. He was a little troubled. <laughs> we, think Jer we think he might have been going off the realm, rails a bit. He was arrested. He was sentenced and put in prison. Didn't have the death penalty when, when and where he was, so it was for life. He became a, a Christian in prison. He was baptized by a preacher in the Church of Christ. A few weeks later, the inmates caught him in a shower and beat him to death. Next Sunday, I stood up in my Bible class and looked around and said, So, is Jeffrey Dahmer in heaven? It was shocking to me. Almost nobody in the room thought he was. Whenever they were done pouring out their bile, I said, here's the news, people. If he's not in heaven, you're not going either. It's the same blood, and God will make him stand. Because I'm with him. There are times that I'm with my son down in downtown Detroit. We will be again a week from Sunday as we go down to feed the homeless in Cass Park. And there are times it gets a little rough. You never know, you know, what's going to happen. But it's nice to have my son there because I'm with him, you know, the mountain. That's good. It's nice to know I'm with Jesus. I can get through. One man, he goes on, considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Everyone should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat does it to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone. None of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. And for this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? By the way, you know how they get away around this? They say, well, since you don't agree with me on this, you're not my brother. Again, you as a brother don't have the right to do that. Only the Father can do that. And the Father, you may not know this. We don't know a lot about what's going to happen on the Day of Judgment. One of the main reasons we don't know a lot is because you can't describe something that happens post-physics. Because there's no round, no up, no down, no then, this, then, that. That's all gone. Time is gone. It's, it's, physics is post-then. So it's hard to explain it. But one thing we do know is that all those little tracks and sermons you heard about were wrong. They're not going to show you a movie of your life. 
the Bible says there will be one question asked. God will look at Jesus and say, do you know them? And Jesus, the Bible says, will say yes. And God will say, well done. Enter into the joys of the Lord. It's not, did you treat your wife right, Patrick? Were you absolutely doctrinally correct when you talked at CMU in 2011? No. It is, Jesus, do you know him? Have you been baptized into Christ? And do you try to form your life into his life? Then he knows you. Isn't that cool? There is no fear where there's Jesus. So we can, as, as Martin Luther said, Martin Luther used to pray every morning, Lord, let me sin boldly. Now he didn't want to sin. What he meant was, if I make a sin, if I make a mistake, at least let it be with boldness, knowing I'm saved. He was right. He goes, why do you look down on your brother? For we will, uh, by the I love this, Rubel Shelley, the first time I ever met him, I had been told he was an evil man. I'd come to America, and uh, I'd heard he was speaking a couple hours away from me, so I wanted to go listen to this evil man who my father calls a snake. So I went to hear him, and he was speaking to a Christian church, which at that time I'd never been in one, which is, that's another form of the American Restoration Movement. They're our cousins. They're really our brothers. And as he spoke to them, he talked to them about the instrument and the differences we have. And he says, if you want to draw a line and declare that somebody on the other side is the weaker brother, I volunteer to be the weaker brother. He says, I don't assume to know that I'm right here. And if you want to consider me the weaker brother, please do so. But remember, I'm your brother. And I walked out of there going, wow. This was different. By the way, Rubel and I are now friends. We go to Tigers games together. He's up at uh, Rochester College. And I've, every time I see him, I'm bowled over by his humility. He's one of the smartest men on the planet. But his humility is what you'll go home with. And again, it's because don't look down on your brother. We'll all stand before God's judgment seat. As it is written... As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. So I'm just not going to bother you. I go down to Fredericksburg, Texas, where my in-laws live, and go to their church. Their church sings the old songs the old way. One of the guys, whenever he's called on for prayer, sorry, this is just confession. I live out loud. I groan inside because I know this is going to go forever. I timed him last time. It was 12 minutes. That is forever. <laughs> because I didn't know any of the people he was praying about. He's praying about people's uncle's cousin's friend actually met a person who knew a guy with a bad knee. It got bad. but I don't say a word. You know why? Because God is honoring that prayer. And God honors their songs. Yes, it seems like you've walked into 1950, but you know something? It feeds them spiritually, and that honors God, and God honors them. Who am I to say different? And no, I don't like Gaither songs, but I bet God does. It's probably on the Muzak in heaven. Just to <laughs> annoy me. Go ahead. 
anyway, um, he goes on to say, look, at, uh, we're, we'll skip a little bit. Um, verse, first of all, he says, you watch your own self. If you think it's unclean, don't touch it. You know, don't do what you doubt. But then he goes, um, it, verse 15, if your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Here's an example of this in contemporary ways. If I go to a church where they don't clap, I don't clap. If I go to a church where they don't use instruments, I don't bring a guitar in because I want to honor their worship, not disturb it. At our congregation, people are sometimes shocked to know that we have what we call a traditional service, which isn't, because there is clapping and the like going on. But then there's a really not conservative, uh, traditional service. And people say, well, why do you do two different ones? Very simple. For the same reason, we declared Sunday morning at, at Rochester on Avon Road, a cappella. Do I believe that we have to sing a cappella? No. Well, why do we declare it as a safe zone then? Because some people worship better that way. And besides, we're good at it. I don't know if you notice, but nobody sings like Church of Christ people sing. I don't want to lose that. Why throw that away? So we say, if you wanted to use your instruments and do stuff, you do that elsewhere. But on Sunday morning, at this location, we're a cappella. Why would we do that? Because of this chapter. Don't put a stumbling block in. Let people, let people worship the Lord. Don't get involved there and mess them up. Um, by the way, don't allow them to use this as a hammer against you. A lot of people do. Well, I'm offended when you do this, and that bothers me. Romans not giving you permission to run the church by being offended. It calls you weaker if you're offended. And it also declares that the elders are supposed to get to you and help you become stronger and accept the others. You're not allowed to stay weaker. If it offends you today, great, let's work on it. Next month it better not. It's the same as when I go to somebody and say, we need you to teach a Bible class. And they say, I don't know enough. And I'll say, you know, that's a fair thing. By next year, you'll know something. I'm coming to get you on this date. We don't let people sit. Unless that's your spiritual gift. <laughs> um, do not allow... Now look at this, verse 16. People would say, well then why, Patrick, would you be speaking harshly and saying we are free in Christ when you know that bothers people? Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. God doesn't say you have to shut up. Speak up. For the, ma the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. People, that's why that man would not have led at the, at the Lord's table at our church. Because it's a matter of righteousness, not a matter of right doctrines. It's a matter of looking like Jesus. We will be at your house over righteousness and morality. But over doctrines like heaven and hell and this, that, and the other, no, nah, we'll just sit down and talk about it. But there will be no judging. Let us, therefore, <coughs> excuse me, make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Look really closely at that verse. Look very closely at that verse. What is left out? Perfection. What? Agreement. Perfection. Unity in all things. That's all left out. 
peace. Edification means to build each other up. Make every effort to do that. If you're making every effort to do that, you don't have time to go about and sort out the churches, do you? You don't have time to publish a paper naming false teachers. It's a fascinating to me that men that aren't qualified to be an elder in their church become bishops over many via papers and blogs. That's uh, a thought for another day. Make every effort what makes to do, do with peace. I, I had a, a friend, uh, the friends, husband and wife. She was deaf. He was mute. And so they, it was continual sign language is all that they could use. And we were in a marriage class, and we have interpreters for the deaf, so they were in it as well. And we talked about arguing and the like, and somebody asked them, and I don't remember the context, but they said, what do you guys do when you argue? And the lady signed, and I don't know sign language or I'd do it, we turn off the light. <laughs> that is awesome. That is absolutely awesome. With Jesus, he says, you know something? Sometimes peace is more important than getting your way. Sometimes building the other one up is more important. And my son's getting married next month. You would think we are in DEFCON 1. My wife is going, what shoes should I get? She's asking me. <laughs> I, I know whichever one I pick is going to be the wrong one. That's the way it goes. It started before we got married. Guys, remember this? Which wedding invitation should we pick? That one. Have you looked at the other one? I meant that one. Well, you know, I thought about that one, but then this one. <laughs> you just go, just pick one. That's all I'm asking. You know, and you learn. Then she, she is, and so what do I do? Do I make fun of her? No, I say, you know something? Whatever you need. Let's go get it done. You know, it'll be all right. Peace. Edification. Look at the next. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. We were in Jamaica. I wish I could tell you it was a big holy thing, but it wasn't. It was a vacation. We were on a cruise ship. We, we hop on a cruise ship once a year to get away from everybody that God loves. And um, <laughs> So we were on a tour thing, and we had a bunch of our friends with us because we'd actually taken 90 people, uh, and the cruise ship was pitching in $100 per cabin to a mission work. We, we arranged all that, so it was, it was kind of fun. So we were on a big tour thing on the bus, uh, and we'd been to Jamaica before, but the, the tour guide was a sweet young lady, and I was watching her body language as she was doing things, and I leaned over to my wife, and I said, she's in pain. Remember, that's what I do. And Cammie said, what do you want to do about it? And I said, let's just hang back a bit. And as everybody got off the, the bus to go climb uh, the falls there at Ocho Rios, I, I looked at her and I said, sister, are you in pain? And she first went, well, I, then she hesitated. And she goes, yes, I have a migraine today. I said, oh, those are awful. Can we help you? And she goes, well, when I get home, I can get some, some aspirin or something. And I said, we have that. Let's get that to you. And we got it and gave it to her and got her a drink. And she looked up afterwards. She said, who are you people? <laughs> I just smiled. And I said, we just belong to Jesus. We want to show you some love today. That's all. He wants to let you know. He loves you too. She goes, but what do you do? Now, here's the big question. How do you answer that? 
because I'm an author, I'm a, I'm a researcher, I'm a professor. Um, I'm also a minister. That's the one that normally scares them. So I said, I do a lot of things. And she goes, but are those people on the bus, are those your people? I went, yes, may as well go for it. I'm a minister, I'm a pastor. I said pastor because in most countries, minister means you're part of the government, right? So I'm a pastor. She goes, oh, what church? I said, Church of Christ. She goes, we have one of those here. And I said, yes, you do. She said, I went to it once. And I said, oh, tell me about that. <laughs> and she said, they were very nice to me. And I said, that's good to know. She said, but I like to praise the Lord. And during one of the songs, I, I was clapping and putting my hands in the air, and they told me they don't do that there. The Bible says, don't destroy somebody over these things. In our church, we sing songs we don't mean, just like you do. <laughs> well, you just sang, said I wasn't going to talk about it. I've never said that. And then you said, get right, church, and let's go home, and you're here. <laughs> But we sing a song, You Change My Morning Into Dancing. You've done that one? We had some visitors that didn't know we didn't mean it. And they, they leapt into the aisles. And I mean, they weren't just the swaying back and forth of these sisters over here. They were, I mean, dip, and I don't know what else is going, twirls, and they were having a great time. And, and I noticed that several of our members are going. It's kind of like many of you, whenever you sang, we lift our hands, and you didn't. I actually, two weeks ago, had a, mem a visitor come up to me and said, you guys sing a song, you lift our hands, and half the people didn't. I said, they don't like Jesus. It's all right. And, and, <laughs> and we went from there to having a good discussion. But that poor girl's not going to get back. And she, I asked her, do you read your Bible? She says, I don't have one. I said, give me your address. And she looks at me, and then she looks over at my wife, and, and my wife's going, this straight, it's all right. Yeah. You know, creepy old man, cool old guy, right? There's that line. Uh, the church she went to didn't know she didn't have a Bible because they were too concerned she'd clapped. Romans 14. There are no laws about clapping in Scripture, but there are laws about this. Goes on, um, look at verse 23. Whatever you believe about these things, keep them between yourself and God. Oh, well, there go papers. There go a lot of things. Now, I answer religious questions on a blog called Tent Pegs, but I make it very, very plain. This is my idea, and if you quote me, date me, because I might change my idea. I'm not speaking for God. I'm speaking for Patrick, because you ask a question. I don't just write, and it's in response to people asking questions. And I'll put myself out there for that. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves, now that's fascinating because it doesn't use a different word there. It doesn't say, blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by who he approves. <clears throat> Do not allow certain things in your life, but you allow all people into your life. All of them. We have a guy, he mentioned him last night, Josh did, Andrew. We baptized him. Uh, he and his girlfriend have a baby. We're not really sure where that's going. He looks like he fell face first in the tackle box. He's got enough piercings and tattoos. Every Sunday he comes in late. 
sometimes wearing a superfly hat, floor-length raccoon coat, and shades. Walks right down the middle, sits on the front, uh, front pew with his baby that's crawling everywhere in the light. We're never going to break Andrew being Andrew at all. By the way, he's white. We haven't broken that to him either. <laughs> We're afraid it will just cramp his style. Yeah, poor guy. We love him to pieces. And every time he comes, we at our, our church, you come up to the Lord's tables and they're around and you talk and you, you share and you laugh and you sing and the like. And every time he comes to ours and I hold his baby and we hug him and I mean it. I may never be able to change Andrew, but he loves Jesus. So we're going to keep working on him. We're not going to give up on him. He comes in our life. We take him out to eat. I took out a, a table of people to eat the other day. I didn't realize that the Sesame Street song was going in everybody else's head. You know, one of these things just doesn't belong here. And it was me. Because they were all different minorities around this table. And they were all calling me dad, which really freaked out the waitress. <laughs> Most of them were tattooed and pierced and the like. Some of them were a little jittery because they hadn't had a fix in a while. We were all sitting there at Applebee's because that's where you go when you don't really care about food. And, um, and we, we sat and talked for, and we kept noticing all the church people coming in going, just looking, wondering, what is that table? What that table is, is Jesus in action. I will fight you over immorality. I will fight you over adultery. I'll fight you over uh, stealing. I'll fight you over not paying your taxes. I'll fight you over not being honorable to your wife and to your husband. I will fight you over not showing love to your children and to everybody else, but I'm not going to fight you over the things the churches fight about. Jesus is who saves us, not our perfection. None of us will die doctrinally perfect and perfect. He goes on, verse 15, 1, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So if the weak brother needs to bring in the bagpipes every now and then, okay. Ten tones, they all sound the same. Sounds like somebody slowly backing over a cat, but if you insist. <laughs> I always want to get up and march and do all that other when I hear it. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. That's your job. I had one guy say, if I do that, it would wear me out. I looked at him and said, you're going to die anyway. What do you want to die of? We were in Scotland, and this family came across to work and help us in Scotland. First time we met him, we were going, Cammie and I on the way back going, uh-oh. Wasn't long before I get a call. They, were, they went up to the Highlands to work with a tiny church. And the lady there said, you need to come up here. We've got some problems. I said, oh, what would those be? She goes, no, just come up. So I drove the five hours up the little two-lane and one-track roads and got up there. Sat down, and she goes, the people here only use one cup. And I went, oh, hi, yeah. There are like six of them. <laughs> and she goes, but we're allowed to use many cups. I said, yes, you are. She said, so we're going to order the cups. And I said, no, why would you do that? Because they like the one cup. Well, because we're, we're free to do that. And I said, you're absolutely free to do that. But why would you? And she, then she pulled out what she thought was her trump card. She said, you could catch tuberculosis this way. Actually, you can't. It's airborne. It's not. But I didn't want to go into that. I just instead said, oh, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> she looked at me. She goes, what do you mean? 
And I said, oh, go on. On the death certificate, cause of death, Lord's Supper. <laughs> you show that to the gate, you're getting in. <laughs> she was not amused. But people, I almost killed a guy baptizing him once. I, but I learned. I learned something. It's very important. I'll pass it on. If you ever baptize somebody in a rushing glacial river off the side of a mountain, point their head downstream. That way, if you lose them, you can grab their feet. I didn't know that. I had his head upstream. Current kicked his legs up, and he was gone. <laughs> so my deacons are standing on the side of the, the river there. Idiot deacons. We don't even give them sharp crayons. And they're saying... <laughs> And they said, what should we do? And I said, here's an idea. Go get him. <laughs> so we're all running down the mountain trying to find our new brother in Christ. <laughs> who will always be known as Brother Bob to us. <laughs> and one of the men running beside me actually says, well, if he dies, we know he's going to heaven. I'm going, oh, jeez. <laughs> I do not want to sign that death certificate. <laughs> so loving your neighbor and giving them the best and loving everybody and giving them the best, will it wear you out? Yes, you're going to die. But here's an easy statistic for you. One out of one dies. <laughs> so die for a reason. I don't want to be laying in a hospital one of these days dying of nothing in particular. Are you kidding me? When I die, I want it to make the news. Do it right. Live right. He goes further. Um, uh, let's start at verse 5, chapter 15. May the, and by the way, I think I'm supposed to stop in like five minutes. Is that right? You shorted me. I, <laughs> all right. Um, <laughs> chapter 15, verse 5. May the God who gives endurance going to be tough. And encouragement, but you're going to make it. Give you a spirit of unity. Doesn't say perfection. Of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. So that you with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And look at this verse as he wraps up this thought. Accept one another then. Just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Let me be very clear. In the church that Jesus wanted to leave on earth, you can disagree about music. You can disagree about ministers. You can disagree about whether using drama and video and clapping and hands in the air is a good idea or not. You can disagree about whether we should buy a church building or meet in a house or rent a hall. You can disagree about all of those things, but you are not allowed to be immoral. And you are not allowed to be unloving. So I am not trying to teach some postmodern gospel that says it doesn't matter what you think. I'm saying it doesn't matter what you think about a lot of things, but it matters what you think about Jesus Christ and purity. Amen. And it matters that you love. That matters. And that isn't truth that, that goes on beyond all things. Do not fall for the postmodern trap that says there is no truth. There is truth. That truth, by the way, 
will sometimes be uncomfortable because God requires me to love some people I don't want to love. I don't know if preachers are that open with you or not, but they ought to be. There are some people in the world that to me are unlovable, and it's a struggle. And God likes to put them next to me. I know a lot of people like the preachers will talk about it. I was talking about Jesus to the person beside me on the plane. I don't want to do that. Number one, why? You're in an airplane. If it crashes, all you've done is tease them. <laughs> they didn't get a chance to be baptized. Unless you're flying over the Atlantic, in which case you could say, you might want to say this after me. <laughs> but second is that by nature I'm a loner and when I get on an airplane I just I want to shut down with my books and that's not what Jesus wants I know because he puts people beside me well what do you do and I always say, tell him I'm a minister number one because that normally shuts them up but sometimes it doesn't but God often will show me who needs who's in pain who's hurting, who's brokenhearted, and say, love them. And it's the very person I wouldn't have picked out to love. It's a hard person to love. And whenever you're done loving them, you don't feel good. You feel like, I didn't do anything today. You did what Jesus said, do it. Love. Let's talk, uh, guys, I really do need to know when I'm supposed to stop because I think I've been up here an hour and 15 minutes and as, as much as kind as you are the head can only absorb what the seat can endure so we, we supposed to stop at noon all right I want to give you a couple more Bible bets that you need to know all right people will say but we can't change God has always changed he worked with patriarchs and then he worked with the nation he worked with the tabernacle then he worked with the temple do you remember the synagogue Jesus went to synagogue. Everybody knows that name? It's a church word. This is very important. In the Old Testament, Nadab and Abihu brought strange fire, and God killed them with fire from above. And you'll hear people in, in our time saying, you see, we're not supposed to make any changes. That's not what that was about. They were drunk. You read the context. They were showing up to worship God and lead the people drunk, and they were stealing from God. It wasn't about they altered something. How can I prove that? When the people were in captivity, they couldn't go to the temple. The temple was the law. Go to the temple. They couldn't go. So what did they do? They started forming small groups. And synagogue means congregation, small group. And they would, instead of a priest, they didn't have priests, they ignored all of Leviticus and all of Deuteronomy. And they just read the scripture and prayed and talked to each other. And not only did God not kill them, when Jesus showed up, that's where he went. Is God upset when we make a change? No. Show me evidence that he is. When somebody gives me a book like they do from time to time, I mentioned it the other day, or yesterday, it just seems like the other day, behold the pattern. There is no pattern. God said, follow me. So let's follow him. And it changes. God never called you to be like the Amish. I mean, I was raised two light bulbs away from being Amish. God, <laughs> that'll be up on Twitter. Uh, you guys tweet like mad. I don't know who's going to win the money here, but they're going for it. Let me tell you, blowing up the account. Uh, Josh thought that was hilarious, by the way, and decided to tell me at 1230 this morning. I prayed about him. 
<laughs> I didn't pray for him. I just, Lord, smite him, you know, things like that. But <laughs> prayed about him, so that's important. That's a little out, by the way. When you have somebody ask you to pray, say, I'll pray about you. See, that way you don't tell them which way you're going on it. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Sorry, tickled myself there. Um, <laughs> there are, I want to ask you something. Anybody know your history a bit about the first century? First of all, there are no first century Jews in the room. No first century Gentiles either. We don't live like that world. It's not our world. Did God intend for us to create an artificial environment in which he could be worshipped? Or did God tear down the temple? God destroyed the temple, sent us out. And what have we done for the last 2,000 years? We've tried to grab Jesus and drag him back in a temple. Methodists will call their auditorium a sanctuary. We say ours isn't a sanctuary, but they can dance in theirs and we can't move in ours. There's something wrong there. I've had people say, I'm not sure we can do that in the building. <laughs> so Jesus died for nothing because you've just made a temple. Congratulations. We don't call ours an auditorium. We call ours the family room. And we let people move when they want to move. If they need to get up. I took down the signs that says no food or drink in the auditorium when I got there. People said, but you'll stain the carpet. Yeah, let's hope we wear it out. That would be nice. I mean, one man's pet stained carpet is another man's twister game. We'll find a way to work with that. Sorry. If you could ever get inside my brain, you would pay money to get out. God could have written the rules for us, but instead of writing worship rules, he wrote behavior rules about love and concern and kindness. God has always liked change. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 19. People ask me which version of the Bible I prefer. It's giant print uh, is what I prefer. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. In other words, I'll worship like that if that helps them. I'll worship like this if that helps them. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. By the way, what's Christ's law again? Love God and love each other. Yeah, well done. So as to win those not having law. That'd be like Andrew, my superfly friend. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. Does Paul here seem to indicate that things are fluid in the way we reach out and change people? Yes, everything except the law of Christ is negotiable. Everything except the law of Christ is negotiable. But he's not done. Next chapter, chapter 10, verses 23 and 24. And I turn two pages. Hang on. Scripture says, Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, 
but the good of others. Why would he say everything is permissible twice unless it is? He says, even though it is, remember that one law trumps everything is permissible. Love. So, when I come into my house, I don't put my feet up on the coffee table. It's permissible. I bought it. But that bothers my wife. But I want to stretch out. You know something? God says what she wants trumps what I want. If I love her. By the way, she treats me the same way. She is an absolute angel. That's why I call her angel. The point I'm trying to make is, you're free to do things, but you don't need to do them. There are some times you can lay aside your freedom. A lot of times you lay aside your freedom for somebody else. Let them speak. Let them worship. And it's just fine. We were... We had helped a, a young couple. They weren't even members of our congregation. But somebody told me, hey, you need to get back and talk to them. Uh, they were robbed this morning. And they were actually burgled. There's a difference. They were a young couple, young African-American couple. We have about 30% uh, minority in our church. And it's growing and growing. And we hope one day as the demographics change that uh, they will be the leadership. And so that's why we're training and mentoring them for this. But anyway, they had come uh, just to see what we were like. But they were a young couple. They'd just been married about six, eight months. They put all the wedding presents in the car so that they could get an early start the next day to drive to Pennsylvania to see her family. But you don't do that in Detroit. And so the next day, the windows were busted out and all the presents were gone. So I went to the young man and I said, are you insured? And he said, yes. And I said, how much are you going to have to pay out of your pocket for this before the insurance kicks in? And he gave me a number. I said, let us help you with that. And he goes, no, we're not members here. We've only been here a couple times. I said, that's all right. So I got up on stage, and I, said, and I told him, I'm not going to tell your story because I, I want to keep your privacy. They were embarrassed. So I stood up and laid out what we call our magic baskets. They were made for us by ladies in Uganda where we have a mission. And I said, here's the situation. We have a young couple who, uh, who were burgled. They were robbed. They lost a lot of stuff. If you have a few extra dollars, put it in here, and we're just going to help them out. That's all I said. Never pointed them out. We got within $10 of the exact amount he gave us. Took it to him, handed it to him. They were tearful. A couple Sundays later, they're back. I start to preach. She stands up and starts screaming, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Now, they, they do that in her church. We don't thank Jesus in ours. So this was... <laughs> This was little disconcerting. <laughs> and all my people were looking at me like, what do we do? I just stood there for a while thinking, well, the way she's yelling, she's going to run out of breath. She didn't. <laughs> she kept going. So after what seemed like eight hours, but it was probably two minutes, I, I got off the platform and walked back to her, put my arm around her. She was swaying, so that meant I was swaying too. And just, just looked down and, and, and just smiled a little bit. And next thing you know, all of them were coming over. And a whole mob. That service was about 300-something people. was going back and forth. And she kept thanking Jesus. And after a while, I, it was probably five, six minutes total. I mean, I was quite impressed. She ran out of oxygen and she just collapsed. And I, I guided her back down into the pew. 
And then as the people were there, I, I explained their story. And I said, she's thankful because you helped her and you didn't even know it. And we all put our hands on each other and on her had a prayer. And then we started going back up to our pews and the worship leader, as we're walking up, says, you're going to finish your sermon? I said, no. He said, why not? I said, God didn't like it. <laughs> I mean, I just started saying it and he poked that woman with a stick. <laughs> Let's not test the waters again on this one. <laughs> so we just went right into the Lord's Supper. And my point is, we were quite willing to interrupt our church for her because Jesus did that all the time. Jesus is doing church and Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, is off to the side calling out for his help. Jesus stops, walks down to him. Have you ever noticed what he did here? This is Almighty God standing in front of a blind beggar who has no standing in that society, none. And Almighty God looks at him and says, what would you like me to do for you? I, get, I got chills again. I cannot look at that story without getting chills. God didn't say, right, I can see what's going on here. We'll give you your eyes back, buddy. No. What would you like? Almighty God is in our lives right now saying, what would you like to do? You want to build another temple? Not going to help you. You want to build a church building? He might help you with that, but the point is don't make it a temple. You are the temple. The churches of Christ realized what we did wrong, and we've changed. We are back to the declaration and address, and we are back to Romans 14. We are back to freedom in Christ. You need to be aware that there are going to be some loud voices out there that haven't learned from history yet. But most of us have regained our history. There are no churches like this. We cannot, I cannot leave the Church of Christ and find a church that gives me this kind of freedom to think, to teach, and to love without restriction. Try to find one. There's a board somewhere. There's a rule somewhere. We don't have it. I do not believe that we are the only Christians, but this is the only place for me. And I, I don't want to be anywhere else. And every time I get frustrated and upset with our church, I remember Mrs. Noah. I want you to think about her. Poor girl, we don't even know her name. I feel like she was cheated somewhat in that. We know Bartimaeus' name. He was a blind beggar. But Noah, nah, don't, don't have it. She's in that ark. It's got sticky walls. Pitch. It's a ship. You know, every now and then, oh, Jim. You know, she's, it just, it's awful. Animals, waste, stink dark, and I can see her now saying, right, that's it, I'm leaving. <laughs> Where are you going? Jesus asked his apostles, he said, you're going to leave me too? And they said, where else would we go? I'm so proud to be a member of the Church of Christ. I'm so proud to follow the footsteps of Jesus, but also realize I'm looking down and seeing tracks of Thomas Campbell, Alexander Campbell, Barton W. Stone, Walter Scott, James O'Malley. I mean, we could keep going. By the way, a lot of Irish and Scottish names on this. But I'm following, I'm following the paths of these people too. And I don't mean to knock this guy. He was a time, he was a product of his time, just like me. I'm going to be used as a bad example by other people down the road. I get that. But there's the thing. We're all walking the same road toward Jesus. That guy's going to be smiling in heaven. 
He's a little scary now. <laughs> it's going to be good, isn't it? Thank you, guys. You encourage me by your songs. You are vibrating to the chords of God. You're picking up his song. Spread it. Cheers. Thank you.